Let us open our ears, minds, hearts, and souls, and stretch our imaginations across time and space to join Jesus and his followers in ancient Jericho. Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. As Jesus was leaving Jericho, together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus's son, was sitting beside the road. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Many scolded him, telling him to be quiet. But he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and said, Call him forward. They called the blind man, Be encouraged, get up, he's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? I'm going to say that one again. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, teacher, I want to see. Jesus said, go. Your faith has healed you. At once, he was able to see, and he began to follow Jesus on the way. For the good news of Jesus Christ, thanks be to God. Many of you who've been coming to summer worship or are following along on the blog know we're doing a series this summer on who is our neighbor, getting to know better the people who live around us, remembering that Jesus said the second greatest commandment after loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so far, we've heard from Tommy Vitolo, our state representative, Raul Fernandez, who uh, does a lot of work for diversity, equity, and inclusion at Boston University and was the first Latinx member of Brookline Select Board. We also heard from our Thrifty Threads ministry and all the neighbors who come into our midst. We heard from our mental health group uh, about mental health and the parables of mental health and how this congregation has been good neighbors and can continue to be good neighbors. Many of you know I've been on vacation, gratefully, for a few weeks, and I've just landed in for this weekend, and I'm taking off for a spiritual retreat back at the monastery in Wisconsin. Uh, you can pray that I don't break any more parts of my body while praying. <laughs> and while on vacation, I've been reading a book some of you may have heard about called Rough Sleepers. It's a book that came out this spring by Tracy Kidder 
about Dr. Jim O'Connell and his ministry among the unhoused and homeless in Boston. And it's very inspiring about Dr. Jim's ministry at Health, uh, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless and Barbara McGinnis House, which I know some of you are familiar with Barbara McGinnis House. Um, but it's also about the people he serves. People you and I pass every day on the streets in Boston. People that we might avoid or not know how to interact with. People who are human beings and that it's just like you and me and our neighbors. And Dr. Jim gets that. Someone else who gets that is our guest speaker today and the ministry he serves, Common Cathedral. And we've been grateful to be a partner with Common Cathedral ever since their ch former chaplain, Laura Schatzer, was a member of our congregation. We've gone and served communion and been a part of worship. We've done the City Reach program for our youth. Uh, Paul and Kathy, I know, have been chaplains at Barbara McGinnis House, and uh, Alicia and Terry and others have volunteered at Common Art. We've had the Common Artist here, the art studio. And we plan to have them again in the fall when we get the timing right. And I was pleased because I kept hearing about this dynamic uh, colleague of mine who I had not yet met, Carrington Moore, and I was pleased last year when I realized he was the executive director, the new executive director of Common Cathedral. And I thought, that's a good excuse to get him to come to, Co to United Parish. And some of you may remember uh, Carrington came in October and preached powerfully to us and with us and was a real blessing then, and I was delighted when he immediately said he'd come again and share with us about being neighborly. I'm also grateful this past year, I've gotten to know Carrington a little bit better through the Greater Boston Interfaith Organization and Common Cathedral, and just to see how much a man of God, a follower of Christ he is, not only with his wonderful mind, but with his hands and feet. Um, I'm also, we can give him some congratulations later today because he's about to become a father for the first time in the next month. So we're excited for him about that. So please welcome Carrington Moore. Good to be with you all today. It's such a privilege and an honor to worship with United Parish. Family, do me a favor. Let's clap it up for Pastor Ken and Pastor Amy. We clap it up for them real quick. We clap it up for Pastor Ken and Pastor Amy. Amen. I, I now have 14 minutes and 35 seconds left. So let's jump. Let's, let's jump right into it. Let's jump right into it. If there was a message that I can preach that would stir your pure minds that might give you joy, peace, and greater revelation of God. The message for today, family, we're going to talk about the miracle before the miracle. The miracle before the miracle. Let us pray. In your own way, please assume a posture of prayer. Let us pray. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Family, growing up, I was around, when I was around five years of age, I love watching children-centered television. I love them because, like most children, I love to sing. Didn't matter if I could sing, if I sung off key, it was the act of singing that brought joy to the divine moment. I used to watch shows like Allegra's Window on Nickelodeon. Every day at 11.30 a.m. in the summertime, I watch Gullah Gullah Island. So come, let come, and let's play together in the bright sunny weather. Let's all go to... You know the song. You know the song. That's good. I, I watch Lamb Chops play along. 
I love the closing song of the show. This is the song that does it in. And it goes on and on, my friends. Some people started singing without knowing what it was. And they forever just because. We're going to stop there. <laughs> and of course, I watched Barney. I love you. You love me. We're a happy family. With a great big hug, with a kiss from me to you. Won't you say you love I love children-centered television when I was five years of age, but I love this particular show called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood because the mood of the song matched the temperament, messaging, and ethos of the show. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be my neighbor? Oh, Mr. Rogers was cool. He was gentle, he was kind, he was inviting. I wanted to be Mr. Rogers' neighbor because it appeared that if I could be his friend, that he would treat me well. It, it, it modeled brotherly or sisterly or the act of or the context of being neighborly. As a young child, I could fully understand the message of what it meant to be Mr. Rogers' neighbor. It meant that I could be loved. The Bible says the first and great commandment is that we should love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul. And the second is like it unto it, or just like it, we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? As a young African-American child, it's very interesting that I began to resonate with a retired, older white man living in the suburbs who wear a red shirt, playing with puppets, saying, won't you be? My neighbor, strange times. In American popular culture today, who is our neighbor? Maybe our neighbor is the person who lets us borrow a cup of sugar when we run out. Maybe our neighbor is the ones we feel comfortable enough to allow our children to go on playdates with. Maybe our neighbor is the ones that fit within the same economic class. They have similar social capital. They have similar networks or went to the same prestigious schools or has a similar investment portfolio. Won't you be my neighbor? In other words, we have been convinced by the destructive forces of American imperialism, capitalism, and racism that our neighbor are those that look similar to us. Won't you be my neighbor? In other words, in other words, we are trying to figure out as a community at United Parish who is our neighbor. So what happens when we encounter a neighbor that is culturally, racially, or economically different from us? This brings us to the text this morning. Blind Bartimaeus, Blind Bartimaeus was persona non grata. He was culturally othered, religiously unclean, and socially shamed. In the Johannian account, in John chapter 9, they asked the question concerning a blind man that they passed by, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus lived in a culture that physical difference was associated with sin. I'm going to grab some water real quick. This you all know. I was screaming all last night. My wife, she surprised me, and she threw me, um, how do you call it? A dad shower or a, 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 dad's a bachelor party. And so I was on Zoom with about 30 friends last night screaming and having fun and playing games. 
one of the games that they played, they did a, um, a, a dad jokes, um, um, what do they call it? They did a dad jokes um, kind of, what do you call it, competition. And the winning joke, this is the winning joke, I want to share this with you, this is off script. The winning joke was, here it is, family. What do you call a really, really, really cool bug? Someone who is super fly. That was the winning joke. Let's go back to our regularly scheduled programming. In the Johanni account in chapter 9, they asked the question, who sinned this man or their parents? And Jesus replied, no one. But this man is blind so that the glory of God might be revealed. Blind Bartimaeus had a particular type of memory. And the memory that blind Bartimaeus had, it suggests that right here in the text that he cried out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd, or the church folks, they said to him, be quiet. Shut your mouth. God is not interested in you. But here's a powerful truth for all of us. God sees us, just as God saw Adam and Eve in the garden, Sarah laughing, David with his sheep, our family who are living unhoused, who are serving and being a community on Common Cathedral, and Hagar in the wilderness. He sees us with our physical and cultural differences. And even in our pain and in feeling different, God sees us. And so we're called to embrace the blessing that being different does not diminish our divinity. Our uniqueness showcases the vast and beautiful creation of God. This miracle becomes culturally necessary. Here's the big point. Because without restoring the man's sight, he would not be in right relationship with his community. Here's the big point. God doesn't need to heal Bartimaeus because something is wrong with him, but he heals Bartimaeus because something is wrong with the culture. Bartimaeus isn't in sin, but rather the religious system that oppresses those that are different is the real sin. If I could push us just for a moment and suggest to us that God doesn't need to heal and deliver individuals so that they can fit into the church, but rather God needs to heal and deliver the church so folks that are different can come in. We need new systems to love others and new systems and approaches to how we love ourselves. I'm almost done. It's a great book, and her book by Bell Hooks is called Salvation, Black People in Love. Bell Hooks examines how race, love, and spirituality intersect in black communities. She critiques the traditional concept of salvation in Western Christianity, stating that it perpetuates oppressive power dynamics and overlooks the unique needs and challenges and experiences of those who are not a part of majority culture. Hooks emphasizes the significance of collective liberation and social justice over, a, over an individualistic and otherworldly understanding of salvation. According to her, here it is, salvation should be seen as a process of healing and liberation from systemic oppression rather than solely as a personal salvation from sin. Won't you be my neighbor? And here it is, family. We have to ask the question. In the text, here it is. Bell Hooks, she suggests in chapter 3, she talks about something called self-love. And she says the greatest way that you can exhibit self-love is, one, to speak up for yourself and to two, practice self-care. In the text real quick, it goes like this. The church folks were trying to get to Jesus 
They were trying to practice this idea of loving God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, but they disconnected it from loving your neighbor as yourself. One of the neighbors was in the crowd and said, I need to be healed. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Won't you be my neighbor? Be quiet. <laughs> Sit down. Won't you be my neighbor? Shut up. Jesus doesn't want to hear you. But he crowded all the more because he loved himself. He spoke up, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What did Jesus say? Won't you be my neighbor? Come forward. And we have to ask the question. Here it is, family. As I was looking at the text, I had to ask the question, how did our beautiful, wonderful, amazing brother, blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, how did a blind man get to Jesus? 